You're listening to Not The Wifey Type, the podcast, a cape-free zone where we share stories and break down strength and struggle narratives to reimagine lives with us at the center. I'm your host, Kayla Charleston. Now let's get into it. Today's episode is going to be about this idea that good men don't exist, which I realize sounds wildly inflammatory if you are invested in this idea of good men out there somewhere. But hear me out. Let me explain what I mean by that. And this is a topic I have written about previously, but I figured I would turn it into a podcast episode. And I want to be clear that I'm not just talking about good men in the context of relationships, romantic partnerships but good men in general. So I'll get into my story a little bit later in the episode, but I want to start out by posing the question, what is a good man or what makes a good man? Is it a guy who helps elderly people cross the street or a guy who volunteers at his local animal shelter? Is it a guy who fights crime in his downtime? What makes a good man? I've heard good men described in a lot of different ways, and there doesn't seem to be a consensus, which is fine. There doesn't need to be a consensus or one definition of what makes a quote unquote good man, because we're all we're all individuals and we're all entitled to our own thoughts, opinions, beliefs, so on and so forth. However, what I have noticed about A good number of the people who subscribe to this idea of good men is that men tend to, they tend to hold men to pretty low standards of what good actually means. So you see this a lot when fathers get praise for publicly doing everyday things with their children that you know, if it was a mother doing it, she would not be receiving the same amount of praise. So like, A mom taking her kids to the playground is just a mom doing what a mom does. But a dad taking his kids to the playground is, oh my God, it's so cute. Oh, he's so present. Oh, you know, it's so admirable that you do, you spend time with your kids in this way. It becomes a much bigger deal, right? And even though it's something that nobody would bat an eyelash at if it was the mother doing it. You also see this when you see a guy who self-identifies as a good man because he has a stable job and a place to stay and a car of his own and bonus if he has no kids. If we're being honest, a lot of men get points simply for showing up. So much so that it overshadows whether or not they are useful or competent or add value in some kind of way, but they get points just for being there. So if we take the examples of fathers again, We put so much emphasis on how bad female-headed households are, how important it is to have a father in the home, and how broken you are if you don't have a father in the home. But what we need to talk more about is how can the ones who are present be the best father they can be to their children? So I'm thinking in this specific example about T.I. and the fact that his daughter's sexuality is open season for people across the internet to talk about because her father made it publicly known that he has her hymen checked to make sure that she's still a virgin. But yay, she still has, she has a father in the home that provided for her, yay. So like, that's what I mean when I say we give men credit for being for doing the bare minimum. If we're using the example of the guy who says he's a good man because he has a job and a car, no kids. 
I know for a fact there are women out there who would get into a relationship with this man based on him being a good man for having a job, a car, no kids. And some of them might even use their relationship status to lord over other women and say, oh, at least I got a man and a good man. But sis, what else is he doing for you? Because if it's giving you the blues and running up your blood pressure, you're literally happy over a man just showing up as a functional, independent adult. On top of men getting points for just showing up, another thing that's happening is men getting to be qualified or characterized as good because they're not necessarily bad. They don't do those things that those other bad men do, like deadbeat dads. Well, he's not a deadbeat, so therefore he must be a good father or the the man who has the job and the car and no kids. Well, he's not fucking for a place to stay. He has his own stuff, so he's he's a good cash. He's a good man. And when you get to be characterized or qualified as a good man relative to men who have less or do less than you, it's really reinforcing this false dichotomy or this false binary. Binaries or dichotomies are composed of or involving two parts or things. And usually these parts are defined as mutually exclusive. They are completely unlike one another and they don't have any overlap. So good versus evil, man versus woman, object versus subject, nature versus nurture, um, civilized versus quote unquote savage. These are examples of binaries or dichotomies and binary thinking and dichotomies are a very Western way of seeing the world. This idea that you can fit something neatly in an either or situation or category, it just doesn't represent the reality of how things are. So what happens, how this applies to good men is there's a tendency to call men good because they're not necessarily bad. So you're not that guy over there that's doing that outrageous act or committing some crime or being violent or doing whatever. You're not that guy. You're not the deadbeat guy. You're not the guy who's couch surfing and eating his girlfriend's kids' fruit snacks. You're not that guy. So you must be a good guy. Because remember, these categories are mutually exclusive and there's no overlap. So you're you're automatically a good man. Or... Or you do something that is perceived as positive. And so because these categories are mutually exclusive, well, if you do something good, then you automatically are not that other guy over there or you're not capable of doing things that are considered negative or bad. And really what these binaries and these dichotomies do is obscure the potential for men to exist as not simply one or the other, but as both. As men who are capable of good things and as men who are capable of very, very ugly things. And so often what happens is if you're a man who does enough good in the eyes of other people, then those people will willingly overlook the bad that you do. And I think that this is complicated a lot by race because of how black men are treated in black communities. So particularly cisgender, heterosexual black men, but in general, black men are seen as needing to be protected by everybody else in the community. And it's 
kind of like you're a traitor if you speak against a black man or if you voice concerns about something a black man has done or if you say negative things about black men black men in general you are kind of or you can be accused of aggravating their plight or bringing a black man down so a lot of times in an effort not to be that person to be that woman we won't speak up about harm that uh, someone who is a black man has done and if they also have qualities of goodness or if there are things that they do that are good or are positive along with the harm they cause this makes it even more this could make someone even more hesitant to speak up about the harm that they cause um and could cause other people to be more likely to ignore the harm that they cause because not only are you speaking out against a black man and trying to bring a black man down, but look at all the good that he does, right? He couldn't possibly be this monster that you're making him out to be because he also does, he does this other good stuff. And it really benefits, well, I'm not gonna, I was gonna say it benefits no one, but under patriarchy, it benefits men to have quote unquote good or the the concept of a good man so loosely defined and so um heavily dependent upon these binaries and these dichotomies so a great example of how this works is r kelly which is an example that i'm sure a lot of people are familiar with by now but r kelly is a man who has grammy award-winning music and you know he has music that has inspired people he has music that has been played at family reunions and gatherings and music that a lot of people use to get their bedroom lit or whatever so for a lot of people because he was able to make people feel good with his music that made him good so for years decades the good his contributions his musical contributions were allowed to eclipse the harm that he was doing to black women and to black girls. Not only is that the issue, but also when you cause harm to a group that has little protection as it is, that makes it even easier to ignore the harm done or the bad done because it's a population or it's a group that no one no one shows up to protect. And in terms of black girls and black women, that's a result of the binaries and dichotomy. Well, partly a result of binaries and dichotomies as well. This idea that it's either either men's issues, black men's issues, or black women's issues. Or it's either we unite as a black community um, as a whole, or we're being divisive because we're speaking about black women's issues. So that's a result of this binary or this dichotomy that pits us against one another also, R. Kelly is a really conspicuous example. He's famous. There are plenty of examples of famous men who have caused harm to women, but have been able to slide by because they're famous and they're an athlete or an actor or a musician. And therefore people like their art or their work or their the entertainment that they provide and they overlook the bad. But I know examples of of men around me who would be lauded by our communities as good men all the while there are whispers of unethical and ugly things that they've done i'm also willing to bet a lot of you do too 
And I want to be clear that I'm not saying there aren't men out there who do have a positive impact on their communities and the, the relationships and the people that they interact with. I've, I have relationships with men that people would consider quote unquote good. Like I've had male mentors invest time in my professional development. I've had male friends who supported me. I have had lovers who were generous and so on and so on. But The issue or the key to keep in mind is that these characteristics or acts do not negate that men occupy a position of privilege in relation to women. So men don't get enough encouragement, if any, to examine their privilege and how it impacts others. So there's not much that really tells men to pay attention to the ways that they can cause harm. And because of that a lot of men are not aware that they're causing harm when they are when they're doing it right there's a there's like a lack of self-awareness sometimes and so because there's this lack of self-awareness even good men can cause harm when they don't necessarily intend to or even men who have a lot of good characteristics or a lot of good qualities can unintentionally cause harm in their interactions with women because they occupy a position of privilege in relation to women. Some men move through the world more intentionally, recognizing their their privilege, but I would argue that more men than not move through the world with this kind of lack of self-awareness and lack of like acknowledging their position of privilege in relation to women. All of these men, whether they are they whether they move through the world intentionally considering their privilege privilege or whether they don't, all of them are capable of having good qualities and none of them exist without having bad ones. So really what I'm saying here is not to demonize men or to make them the villains or to make them all the bad guys, but to actually humanize them and to make this concept or this idea of a good man more complex. Because when we have these shallow concepts of what it means to be a good man, women end up with the short end of the stick. It serves men who are only interested in maintaining power in relation to women, but for men who want to make sure that they're having the most positive impact on people that they interact with in relationships that they have, it they get the short end of the stick too because they don't get to improve and to understand the world from a different perspective that doesn't just center their well-being or their needs being met or their pleasure. But for the men who aren't interested in seeing the world from a different perspective, being this binary of good men versus those other men works well for them. And so now I get to my story, which is a story about a friendship that I had with a guy who said that we have a soulmate connection. And I don't really believe in soulmates, but I I understood what he said. So our connection was effortless. He was the first person I talked to when I woke up and the last person I talked to before I went to bed, like seven days a week. We talked every single day. We talked about everything. It felt like we talked about everything. Um, We would even go time you know how you can have people that you're just so good with you can not talk to each other for a year two years a few years and then when when you do talk it's still just like old times and you fit right right back into place it was like that we went 
we had a period of three years where we didn't talk and we reconnected and the first time we talked we talked on the phone for six hours and I am not a person who enjoys talking on the phone I only talk on the, I only pick up the phone for my mama and maybe like one or two other people I'm not talking on the phone. We talked for six hours the first time we reconnected after three years. So this was a this was a person who I felt very close with at at a certain point who I felt like knew me, listened to me enough to actually know me, um, and that I felt comfortable with most of the time. So this was also a man that by a lot of measures people would say was a good man so he was very smart and he was college educated I'm saying was like he died or something he's still alive but (laughs) he was smart and college educated and gainfully employed and didn't have any kids and all that stuff that people that a lot of people like to say makes a good man or an eligible bachelor or whatever one of the and one of the most important things that I liked about him and our relationship or our friendship or our connection or whatever is that he respected boundaries better than any man that I had met before. That was huge to me because I just have I just have met a lot of men who aren't necessarily as good with with boundaries and making sure everything's in the clear. So I appreciated that about him. And in the course of our basically decade long friendship, there were never any major transgressions between us. Which is part of why, in my mind, he was a good man. Back when I was invested in this idea of good men existing, the 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 being college educated and smart and able to talk about anything and respecting boundaries, all of that was what led me to categorize him as a good man. And remember, this idea of good men is a binary or dichotomy. So when there were ways that were subtle or things that were subtle that would nag at me that he would do, I would kind of push them to the side. I would kind of ignore them or not acknowledge them because again, I'm thinking, oh, he does all these things that are good. And because good and is mutually exclusive with those other guys who do bad things, who do unethical things, who do harmful things. Well, that can't be that big of a deal. So I I was inside my own head. I was (laughs) making excuses for him, but still these things would happen and as I started to listen to myself more and trust myself more, I would and pay attention to how I was feeling in these instances and not just push it to the side. I would notice that he had a tendency, even even though I felt like we could talk about anything, I would notice that when it was stuff that was specific to me being a black woman, he had a tendency to be dismissive or to gaslight me about it. And So in a way that was so incongruous with how I would respond when he talked about situations that happened to him based on him being a black man. So for example, um, one day he was on his way back home from seeing me. We had just spent some time together. He was on his way back home. He got stopped by the police and they told him to get out of his car and they searched his car. So he is scared for his life. Rightfully so. He is scared for his life. Rightfully so. So he gets out of the situation safely and immediately after it's over, he tells me about it. And of course, when he tells me about it, I offer sympathy. I, I comfort him. I'm sorry this happened to you. I'm so glad that you made it out safely. Are you okay? Are you good? Like 
how you would respond to someone who has just experienced uh, a thing that they did not know that they were going to survive or that they were going to get out unharmed, right? Well, on another occasion, we were talking about my day and I shared a scary street harassment incident that I had in which I was downtown with a friend of mine and there was a strange man who started following my friend and I and he started asking for sex and this was a completely complete stranger and he was following us so to me as a woman that's alarming because if you are a complete stranger and you're bold enough to ask for sex I don't know what else you're bold enough to do especially if you get rejected and we know that there are men out there who do not take rejection well. So like, I'm this nigga following us. I'm like, okay, what are we about to do? I don't got no weapons. That was a scary situation for me, for my friend and I, I was telling my, this male friend about my day. Cause he, I think he asked or something. I don't know. I don't remember, but his response was a joke. And the joke was basically, cause I told him the guy was like, asking asking about sex or asking for sex and and the male friend responded well did you say yeah and I felt like that didn't match the tone that I was coming with like that was a scary situation for me it was unpleasant I felt gross it was just not a good experience so for you to respond with a joke that is kind of not really acknowledging that this was this felt like something serious for me Whereas when you told me about the police pulling you over, I was able to understand that that felt unsafe for you. Why? What's going on here? So his response to that joke made me upset. I got upset at the joke and I was like, you know, that's not funny. Why would you joke like that? His response to me being upset was to tell me that I needed to stop getting upset for no reason. Right. So there there is gaslighting and there is being dismissive. There's being first of all, being dismissive of my experiences of street harassment, like they're not just as scary as his experiences that make him feel unsafe. But also gaslighting me to tell me that my righteous, you know, me being upset was uncalled for again in my mind at the time. And I think in his mind, he was he was a good guy. So he wasn't the guy, I I told him about an incident of street harassment. In his mind, he doesn't street harass. He doesn't call women bitches. He doesn't call women out of their names. He doesn't follow women. So because he wasn't that guy, that made him the good guy. And it didn't matter that in that moment, in in the context of our conversation, he, he was being he was doing things that were harmful, right? Being dismissive and gaslighting me. All that, all that mattered in his mind is, well, I'm not that guy. So this joke that I told that minimizes your experiences, that's not that bad. Cause I don't, I don't street harass and I don't ask random women for sex. I don't follow women. So because I don't do things that are um, not as, that are as objectionable as that guy. Well, I'm still the good guy and you're getting upset for no reason. Why are you treating me like this? I'm the good guy here. That's basically, that's how I analyze the situation. And I feel like that demonstrates exactly the issue with this good man, good guy, good, good, good emphasis that we put on categorizing people and categorizing men. 
And again, like I said, it's a lack of self-awareness because a lot of men are not encouraged to take a look at how their actions or their words are can be harmful to women and to, to women around them that they interact with. They don't always know when something that they say or do is harmful. But also, they're given the latitude to deny that something was harmful based on this binary of, well, I'm not like those other guys who are really bad or who are violent towards women or who do X, Y, Z to women. So you're critiques or your claims about what I did in this context can't really be valid because I'm not that guy. I'm the good guy. This situation boils down in part to the belief that benevolence is all it takes for a man to be a good man. So benevolence, the quality of being well-meaning or lacking ill intention or lacking some kind of outrageous or horrific act in general or toward other people. And You know, sometimes even if you do do something horrific to other people, you can still be qualified as a good man. But in general, a lack of doing things that would be frowned upon from enough people to earn you disapproval, social disapproval. That's all it takes in too many circumstances, in too many instances for a man to be qualified as a good man. So my guy friend he never was physically abusive to me. He, I don't have evidence of him being physically abusive or sexually abusive or verbally abusive to any other woman. However, in that particular incident, in that particular context, in that situation or that conversation, he definitely reinforced rape culture. He definitely contributed to a society that trivializes women's experiences of assault and harassment. He definitely normalized violence against women in a way that society doesn't believe women when they come forward or doesn't take their claims seriously or treats it as a joke or treats it as trivial. He contributed to that. So no, he didn't physically harm me or anything like that, but he contributed to an environment and a society that makes women feel unsafe having to navigate it you know, and, and consider their safety around men. He contributed to that. So that's what I mean when I say this idea of being good, quote unquote, is problematic because it's such a blanket term that we just assign it to men for doing the bare minimum or doing nothing but being not those guys over there who are objectionable and who are gross and who do things that we as a society have decided have a negative impact. So that's why I say that quote unquote, good men don't exist. It takes more than just benevolence or being well-meaning to be a good man, or it should take more than that. So if I were to say what being a good man should entail, which I still don't believe in the concept, but if I were, if I were to define it, I would say that it involves, not necessarily limited to, but involves a self-awareness around your position, the, the position of privilege that you occupy in relation to other people who exist in the world and an intentionality to cause less harm to those people. That to me is, or those to me are markers of a good man, much more so than a lot of the things that we take for granted as making someone good now. So I think that the lack of that, type of framing when we talk about good men is what allows men to settle very nicely into these arbitrary definitions of what it means to be good and 
allow them to skip out on the continuous work of harm reduction in their communities and in their relationships. And let me tell you the sense of freedom I gained once I divested from this idea of good men existing out there somewhere. I used to carry around a lot of guilt and it was because as heterosexual women, for a lot of us, the ultimate goal is supposed to be to find a good man to earn his attention and affection so that you can keep him so that he'll um, commit, claim you and commit to you forever through marriage. And that's supposed to be it. Like that's supposed to be the thing. So when I would have men in my life who would fit whatever characteristics of being a good man, whether that's being financially independent and own car, own house, or whether that was men who were kind to me or generous or supportive, if they had feelings for me and I didn't reciprocate those feelings or I didn't feel the same for them, I would feel bad. Like, why don't I like them? What's wrong with me? I would actually feel like something was wrong with me. What's wrong with me that I have this good man who's showing interest in me and I'm not interested in him back. I am supposed to like him. That's how I felt. And that's no way to live because I don't owe my attention or my affection to any anybody even if he does do nice things for me, even if he is supportive or generous. If it's not what I want, it's not what I want. And women get blamed for being single. And it's funny, blame is a funny word, like they've done something wrong by being single. But women get blamed for being single because they have all these good men around them that they choose not to be with. Like like it's owed to these good men. So once I stopped believing in this concept of good men, I was much more able to live my life on my own terms and not be thinking about, okay, is this favorable in the eyes of a quote unquote good man? If I want a good man, what should I be doing? How should I be behaving? It took so much pressure off to remove men from a pedestal of goodness and to keep in mind that they all occupy a position of privilege in relation to me. So that's going to show up in our relationship in some way. So I shouldn't even sweat trying to find a good man or, or worrying about keeping a good man because he's not going to be without fault. None of us are without fault. This is not just for men. None of us are without fault. But it got so much easier for me not to internalize negativity about my worth in regards to being able to get a man, get a good man or keep a good man. Once I was realistic about men's position of power and privilege in relation to me and the lifetime of work that men have to do to make sure they're not using their power and privilege to cause harm. There are many men who have not committed to doing that work and other men who have committed to doing it, but only when it's convenient for them. So understanding that was a game changer and changed how I viewed the necessity. First of all, how I viewed good men, but the necessity of having a quote unquote good man. So I don't believe that good is a is a descriptor that works for men. I don't think it tells you anything about the man at all. Because if you think about, you know, a good man, chances are a lot of some of the qualities, at least some of the qualities that you think of are not going to be the same as the next person. So if somebody says he's a good man, that's going to bring up something completely different for you, or it might. So, and the, the word or the descriptor good, you know, works for the club sandwich you ate for lunch, or it works if you're trying to call your dog a good dog. It works for the Netflix series that you binged watched, but 
in terms of men, it fails to capture the full range of capabilities and qualities that men can embody. What would happen if we started thinking outside of binaries and actually described a man by the ways that he does show up in the world? Kind, cruel, compassionate, selfish, corrupt, intelligent. All of these things are much more useful in explaining who a person is than good. Good is essentially useless. Thank you for listening to Not The Wifey Type, the podcast. If you love the show, make sure to subscribe so you'll know when new episodes drop and rate and review so others will know how much you love the show too. If you want to keep up with me personally, you can follow me on Instagram at Not The Wifey Type. Until next time, I'm reminding you to belong to yourself. <laughs>